Welcome to the Real Estate Explainer Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kazula. And on today's episode, we have Michael and Andrew with the Legacy Wealth Code. Hey, Andrew, Michael, just wanted to say thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast today. What I wanted to go over is the Legacy Wealth Code that you've created. And it looks like there's three main areas. It's the, the firm foundation, the tax strategies, and then building a team with your process. And I just wanted to kind of jump in and, and have you cover the, the Legacy Wealth Code. Yeah, yeah thanks, no, for... thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us, uh, Andrew. Uh, my partner here in, in crime is with us. So for us, when we created this, you know, Andrew and I have been real estate investors for the better part of the last 10 years and kind of dove in pretty deep through a variety of masterminds and just, you know, industry knowledge about the tax side, which I think a lot of people when you're starting out in real estate investing, there's not many people who who think real estate's a bad investment, but most people don't don't. realize that they are missing out on a ton of tax uh, incentives and strategies that are also associated with it. And so, um, you know, we're, we're super excited that you invited us to be, be here today. I know Andrew can attest to some of these, you know, even the office we're sitting in is a perfect example of what can be possible with the tax strategies that we teach. Perfect. Let's go ahead and start with the the foundations. It's, you know, the foundations. And I think uh, one of the the items that you discussed is analyzing, analyzing the deals, really uh, getting a, a solid deal in place. The way that we structure our, our course is, as you said, it's, you know, one of the things that we found is that you can take advantage of these tax incentives that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But if you're not buying the right properties and you're not buying them well, you're shooting yourself in the foot out of the gate. And so to us, it was, you know, especially people that are that are new to real estate investing and maybe don't have the experience or they don't have, you know, the years of doing it, understanding the fundamentals of, you know, let's underwrite a deal and let's sit down and go through what's a good look on this property. And, and, and Mike and I, a little bit less lately, just because deal flow has been slower with the market, but we used to underwrite, I don't know, hundreds of deals a month, if, if not more than that. And, and just, just vetting those to look for, for properties that make sense. And so what we did is we kind of compiled what are sort of the top 10 things that we look for. And, and, and when we go through a deal, what are we looking at? And so, but at the end of the day, making sure that you're sound in your fundamentals, as far as knowing that you're acquiring the right asset and you're, and you're not overpaying for it, or you're not buying something that's going to be a problem for you down the road that's really step one. And so um, when we were laying out the course, we, we talked about how important it is to not, to not overlook that part and, and make sure that that is something that people are implementing in, in their strategy. So in, in the deals that you're talking about, are these primary, primarily residential or are these commercial in nature? I would say it's, it's resident, more residential in the sense of like, we're not looking at true commercial or industrial properties. Typically, we're looking at a lot of multifamily deals, for example, that's a lot of where we buy ourselves, but most right. of the people, most of the people that we're teaching to, um, and most people in the course tend to be more on the residential side than on the commercial. And so a lot of our, a lot of our underwriting, and a lot of our tactics are, are geared and aimed towards that side of things. All right. And you're saying analyzing deals. So are these deals coming to you or are you going out and looking for them? Are you looking on the MLS or do you have, um, wholesalers or other individuals bringing these deals to you so then you could review to make sure they make sense before you acquire them? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. 
you know, obviously both Andrew and I being that we are, you know, saturated in the real estate market, you know, from a local perspective, we're going to always get off market deals. But what we try to teach is that there's a variety of different places that you can find the deals. Right. You know, you can always find the deal through a local uh, real estate agent. You know, the caveat to that is I would definitely make sure that they have some experience in the investment space because there's a big difference when you're underwriting these for a primary residence versus um, an investment property, right? Like there's properties that we go into and we're like, we would never live here, but this is an amazing sure. investment, you know? And so I think separating those two from just like, what what is the cash flow? What is the return? What is the upside? But yeah, I mean, so overall, I think there's a, a, a mixed bag between, you know, just your local MLS. There's a variety of different uh, investment groups pretty much across the country that you could be a part of where there are off-market opportunities, uh, partnering with local wholesalers. You know, there's a ton of different ways to find these deals. And I think a lot of people just don't know, you know, really where to start. I think what you just said was, you know, with underwriting the, these deals, it's so important because there's so many folks that when they're looking at buying investment properties, everything's a deal. They all of a sudden they want to buy everything. And I think what is so important about really stepping back and looking at each individual property you buy as its own business is then you're looking at your return on your investment, your long-term hold on it, what you're going to do with that property. So it is so important not to get caught up in the, the buy, 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 or I have to do it now because the market's moving so fast, because I'm sure you've seen it. One or two deals can really change a person's life financially, either for the positive or the yeah. negative. So it's really important to analyze and to underwrite each individual transaction that you acquire and look at it from a holistic point of view. So I think that's a, a great point point of view. Well, and you hit it on the head because I think the the issue that we have right now is that you have a lot of people that watch uh, HGTV and they watch these flipping houses and, you know, fix or flip, blah, blah, blah. And what they don't realize is most of those shows obviously are are pretty scripted. It's not, you know, let's the big reveal of these three houses. Well, little little do they know, like two of those houses aren't even on the market. One of them is, you know, the fix and flip shows where we bought this for 250,000 and we, you know, we put in 80,000 in reno and we sold it for 700. And then at the end, you'll see the credits uh, scroll and you'll see the cabinets, the window company, the flooring company, all of those get some kind of, uh, you know, credit for what they've done for the show. Well, that's like $150,000 worth of product that they got for free because it's featured on the show. And so I think that it gives people like a, a almost like a false narrative of, oh, I can do this. This guy, all he did is look on the MLS and he bought this property for two hundred thousand. He called a couple guys in. Now he sold it for seven hundred thousand. I can do that. And exactly what you just said, people either get a positive or a negative uh, experience. And I think a lot of it boils down to you don't know the fundamentals of what you're buying and how to analyze it then all of the stuff that we could teach you on the back end to maximize it is really all for naught because you're already underwater on the purchase. You know, something I think that is really important to add to that, and, and Brian, I love that comment about, 
you know, one or two bad purchases can really upend somebody. And, and unfortunately we see some of that and, and you see people go in and they, and they overbuy on something and they can't exit it. And it's a huge, it's a huge issue for them. And one of the things that we preach consistently is the fundamentals, stick to your fundamentals. Don't get swayed. Don't get emotional, know your numbers and stick to it. Because I mean, Mike and I are dealing with a property right now that I kid around with them all the time. I'm like, I hate this property. I just want to get rid of it. It drives me crazy. But, but, and it's, and it's not one that we're going to hit a grand slam on, but we're not going to lose money on it either. It's, it's, it's pain in the neck and, and like, we'll exit it and we'll do okay. We're not going to do as well as we do on other properties. But as long as you're sticking to those fundamentals and you're, and you're still buying it, right? Like where you're going to hurt yourself is you're going to say, this was a pain in the neck and I won't do something like this one again. But at least you're not, you know, declaring bankruptcy or defaulting on a loan that you have on the property. You're doing something that's going to actually have a longer term impact for you. And so, you know, I, I think it's so important that and we beat that home, stick to your fundamentals, stick to your numbers and, and make sure that you're you're not compromising on those. And with that said, I mean, you know, I've talked to uh, quite a few real estate investors um, when you're doing these. Uh, I imagine there are you flipping them fix and flips or are these long-term holds or what's, what's your it's, end goal? It's all the, it's all the above. I mean, we, uh, wholesale deals, we fix and flip deals and we do long-term holds. So it's, it's not any one box per se. And, and, and we kind of go with where we're at with the market, honestly. And so like right now, right now we're not wholesaling a lot of properties. We've scaled that down. We scaled down our fix and flip and we're more focused on long-term holds at the moment. But you know, if, if the opportunities are right, we'll dive right back into those things. So. And when you're doing a fix and flip, let's say, do you recommend that a client or an investor goes outside of their market, tries to do a fix and flip long distance, or should they really stay within their local area? So if they've got to step in and uh, just help out, you know, they're available. I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen clients do, do both. Yeah. I mean, and Mike, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this too. I mean, I, I will, I would say a lot of it depends on how seasoned you are, honestly, and and kind of your your appetite for, for headaches with it. I mean, certainly being local, I think makes it easier most of the time. That said, I mean, we've, we look at portfolios all over the place, knowing that if you bring in the right support and you have the right people, you can still make it happen. You just, you know, you're going to have to potentially hop on a plane once in a while, or you're going to have to drive there. I'm actually, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm just went under contract on some properties I own in South Carolina. And the reason for the exit is because small town, South Carolina. I have a business partner in that deal who lives there and he just wants out. And he's like, I'm tired of dealing with the, the, the headaches down the street and we don't have a good management option on it. So it's like, okay, if you're out, then the project isn't going to work for us and we got to sell. So, you know, there's, okay. I think there's times where you'd say it just doesn't work. And there's times where you'd say, if we can find the right people to, to help support it, yes, it can still work. That makes sense. And I think that's part of the, you know, last bit of this conversation is building the correct team. So it's really understanding your core competencies and having the teams in place. So that's, that's good to know. So in in this case, you had a friend that was part of the deal, decided he no longer wanted to be part of the deal. So it's a good time to exit And that. That completely makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we give him a, we, we kid around with him because so, so he's, he's licensed. And when we bought the deal, he took a commission on it, which we all were like, oh man, we can't believe you're not just crediting that back. And, uh, and, sure? and he, yeah. so we're, so we're like, you deal with the headaches locally. And I think he, he's been keeping track on his tabs and he's like, my tabs up now, now I got to exit. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank our sponsor, 
U.S. Tax Advisors Group, a cost segregation company. If you're interested in learning more about cost segregation studies, go to realestateexplainer.com and click the cost segregation link at the top of the page. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, you really also have to look at what you're doing. I mean, is it is it worth it? Meaning, you know, you own these rental properties, you're you're paying down the mortgage, that's great. But at the end of the day, if you're spending your weekends mowing the yard and you're over there 40 hours a week or maybe not 40, but whatever it is, and it, it's a second full-time job for you, maybe that specific investment isn't the right fit. So that's something that I think every investor really needs to look at. And I've seen, I've seen guys get burned out of owning rental properties specifically for that reason is because they're doing all the work. And what I've said to them and I'll you know, say is that if the business doesn't support itself, meaning you can't hire somebody to mow the yard or you can't hire somebody to manage the property, your time is not free. Right. You know, you have to, you have to value your input. And if you're not paying yourself anything or it's a negative, then it's not penciling. It's not a good business to be in. You need to look at that business and restructure it. Maybe go in and do some value add if you can, so you can increase the rents and make it profitable. And if that just doesn't work for the market, maybe it is looking at selling that property and, you know, identifying another asset that would be a better fit for you. So when I laugh sometimes, because, you know, like, um, you know, obviously we created this course because Andrew and I both between the two of us have a ton of experience in investment real estate and, you know, how to buy the properties and make sure you're, you're, positioning yourself in a, in a positive light, then applying the tax strategies. I mean, this is all stuff that most people probably don't know about. And then in the same breath, I'm also, you know, I'm walking out of this nightmare Airbnb with two sacks of laundry, you know, filled <laughs> with God knows what kind of bodily fluids. And I'm thinking, I mean, I guess this is just one of those lessons where one day when I'm on stage talking, like I can say, I have been in the thick of it because, yeah, you know, it, it's not all, uh, all glitz and glamour. You're not just cashing checks. I mean, there's a garbage bag full of dirty laundry in the back of my truck right now because, you know, we try to automate a lot of it and that's what we teach. Like this is, you know, yeah. you can automate it, but in the same breath, sometimes that housekeeper isn't available when you thought they were going to be because they had you know, some kind of family emergency. You got a guest checking in at three o'clock. Now you have a bag of laundry in the back of your truck. I mean, uh, just, we could uh, we could do a whole uh, episode on uh, Airbnbs. I mean, especially oh, yeah. here in Florida, we're we're all in Florida. Um, you're up in Tampa. I'm down in Sarasota. And in the summertime and in the wintertime, if that Airbnb sits vacant for a week or so, and someone put a load of wet laundry in the washing machine it's going to be a big surprise when you show up the next time because the whole house is just going to, you know, it's going to smell like mildew. It's just, uh, yeah. it's just a reality, you know, in Florida. So that could be a whole different uh, topic, but I did want to uh, segue over to uh, the tax strategies because I think that is so important. And, you know, we've worked together. I am a cost segregation specialist. That's what I do. And, you know, it is so important when you're looking at real estate as an investment is to really take a look at all of the opportunities that real estate presents. Whether you're doing a cost segregation study or not, you're still going to have depreciation on the investment property. You cannot depreciate a primary residence. 
but you can depreciate an investment property. And that depreciation, even if it's straight line at 27 and a half years for residential property or 39 years for commercial property, it really does help offset taxable income. So it's just a, an amazing opportunity. I'm sure you guys talk about that in your in your courses. So Yeah, I mean, so that's really the foundation of of why we put this all together. So, you know, kind of taking a step back, our our journey started with us partnering up. I was doing a lot of different masterminds at the time and and Andrew being not only just a, a real estate attorney, but also an investor himself, I was like, we got to partner up. We got to start buying stuff together, but we have to maximize the tax strategies. And it was amazing. I remember sitting in the room when I first learned about cost segregation and I felt like my head was going to explode because I'm like, you know, somewhat mad at myself. Like, how did I not know about this? But then you start thinking about, okay, I can't change the past. Whatever happened in the past is the past. But what could this do for my future? And when you start applying what those tax strategies look like, I mean, it can exponentially grow your portfolio. And that's really kind of how the Legacy Wealth Code started. It was just really Andrew and I wanting to buy properties and eventually move from you know small multifamily and single family to bigger and bigger projects. How do we do that? Well, a friend of ours that was in marketing said, create a course where you're teaching people that they're missing out on a huge incentive if they're not taking advantage of it. And that will give you all of the, you know, all of the potential partners that you ever need. And that has now morphed into even more than, than what we probably imagined to begin with, which is helping any investor take advantage of the same tax strategies that the super wealthy and the super rich have taken advantage of for years, mostly because they have tax strategists and everyone else has tax preparers. Right. So most people are just used to turning in their their paperwork and saying, here's here's what I made. Here's what I think my deductions are. Tell me what I owe. And they check the boxes. And then that's pretty much the only conversation you have with your uh, your tax professional. And there's a huge gap there because, uh, you know, one of the guys we work with, uh, Justin out of Arizona, he says that the the tax return is is his report card on how well yeah. the strategy performed for that year. And I think once you change your mindset from that, I'm just filling out paperwork and I'm going to send a check-in to how do I create a strategy this year so that I don't have to pay taxes or I can at least eliminate a lot of taxes that I would owe by doing something that the government will incentivize me to do. And so I think what it boils down to is, you know, when we do these calls with people, we tell people, if you live in the United States and work here, you're a partner with the government just how it is. But the option you have is you can be a passive partner, let them take the money out, they do whatever they want to with it. Or you can be an active partner and do something they'll incentivize you to do. And when you look at it like that and you realize real estate provides cash flow, appreciation, and depreciation, there's not a better asset in the world to ever invest in. Mike, you you hit one of our buzzwords there, um, mindset. And, and Brian, one of the things that we we consistently drive home in the course is that so much of this is a mindset shift. And I, and I look back at, you know, how, how we used to invest ourselves and, you know, Mike came to me, I don't know what it was, 2019 ish. And was like, you got to come to these masterminds I'm going to, because they're talking about these really great tax strategies that are, you know, you can compound that with your investment strategy. And I think 
most people, when they think about investing in real estate, it's like, you know, okay, I got to make a good buy so that I can make a good exit. And then I, there's my profit margin and that's how I'm going to make my money. And, you know, some of them think a little bit about 1031s and they're doing some tax strategy as far as that's concerned, but nobody's really deep diving depreciation. They're not deep diving how to, how to ultimately reduce their active income through real estate as well. And like, uh, it's a halfway there thought process, I guess. And, and Mike and I talk a lot now in hindsight, and I'm like, you know, I sit down and do closings with clients and you hand them their 1099 form to fill out. And they're just kind of like, oh, it's part of the process. It's, it's something I have to do. But yes, to a certain extent, it is something you have to do, but there's a better way to do it. And so we spent probably the last two years just really deep diving on this and realizing that investing in real estate is is not just how you buy and you sell. If you're not If you're not taking advantage of the tax strategies, you're really leaving a lot on the table there. And by recognizing that and then starting to partner with the right people like yourself and, and the right CPAs, it has really just rocket shipped our own portfolios, our own wealth. And, and that's what we are trying to get out to everybody else is that there's a, a better way to do this. There's a way that you can you can really grow your own stuff at a much faster pace than what you think. You know, and when you're looking at it, I was going to do a, a whole podcast and I know it's probably not going to be the most exciting podcast I do because when I get going, it tends to be boring, let's say, but it's going to be the cost basis of real estate. And I've seen this, uh, it pops up over and over again with real estate investors across the country that I work with. They'll buy very large assets and then they'll turn their closing statement over to their CPA to input the cost basis into their fixed asset schedules. And they'll have a, let's say a $5 million acquisition and their CPA or their tax advisor will carve out 70% to a land allocation because they bought an area and that's what the, the county tax recorders is saying that the land allocation is. Now that could be true in some cases, you know, if you're coastal San Diego, that, that might be the case, but probably not in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. So there's all these things that you really have to look at when you're looking at the taxes and you have to take it. It's your own responsibility to make sure that who's filling that information out for you is putting the correct numbers on your tax returns. So I, I think what uh, your partner in Arizona had said is, you know, the tax return is really the report card. And I would just encourage everybody that's investing in real estate is really pay attention to what is going into your fixed asset schedules when you're setting them up at the end of the year. And I would also just caution, please don't rush it. Don't be the, the, the guy who's filing their taxes on you know the last day of the year, or the last day of the extension, because you're really doing a disservice to yourself and you're putting your tax preparer in a very bad position because they've got a, a, a very complicated job because they don't only have to know about real estate they also have to know about all the other topics, the thousands and thousands of topics that are out there when it comes to taxes. So just give them a little bit of time to, to get those documents together. With that, I do want to transition to building the team and you know having the correct uh, partners in place. And I think we talked about it in the very beginning when it came to working with wholesalers that are bringing you transactions, to working with cost segregation professionals, to working with very good tax preparers. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. So um, 
And I'll actually parlay that into something that you can respond to as well, Andrew, because I think I feel like the guy that you talked to a couple of days ago is is really like the perfect avatar for for who it is that we're trying to help. You know, really who we're trying to help are people that are like us. You know, for us, we're both real estate professionals. So that's an easy check the box. Now we can offset any of our income, but you're also going to run into all of these obscurities. And I'm sure, Brian, you you probably talk to people on the cost seg side all the time that are, well, you, you're telling me I can't offset all of my income because I'm going to, you know, cost seg this property. And it's like, it depends on what you want to do with it. So I think part of it is just putting together the team that can inform you on all of the tax strategies that are in place. But, you know, as Andrew pointed out, I think in the beginning that if you're not buying the right way on the front end, all of the tax strategies are great, but it ends up being a wash because now you're, you know, you might be underwater on a property or, you know, you might not have done your due diligence. You think you can do an Airbnb and there's short term rental restrictions. I mean, there's a variety of things that the average person that's not in the real estate investing space on a day to day basis wouldn't think to know or wouldn't think to ask about. And that's really what we try to do with with developing this course is not only give people a foundation, but create a community that has people that share the same vision, which is buy real estate, invest in real estate, maximize it with the tax strategy, and then ultimately leave a legacy that is meaningful to you. And that's going to be different for everyone. But that's really, you know, to encompass what it is that we created. That's why we did it. But Andrew, talk about the guy that you just talked to uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, sure. So I was... Um... We do onboarding calls um, is how we is how we bring people into the course. And so I was doing an onboarding call and I was talking to a guy out of California and, and he was loosely familiar with cost segregation and loosely familiar with the real estate professional designation. And and he's a developer, small developer in California. And so by pretty much all intents and purposes, he qualifies, but his wife's also actively involved in their rentals. And so between the two of them, they're an e- kind of an easy qualification. But his comment was, you know, I've used the same CPA for 30 years, which I think, I mean, we hear that a lot. People get comfortable with their CPAs and they're just like, okay, we go to them for this. But, you know, as you know, a lot of these CPAs are just kind of, they're checking the boxes to get things done because they got to move to the other thousand returns that they have to get filed before they're, you know, by the end of, of tax season. And so they're not really deep diving a whole lot. But his comment was, I got audited because this guy did something wrong in my taxes. So now I'm with, now I have to make a switch and get somebody new. And they were the ones that kind of, you know, started to educate him on on some of these other things like cost segregation and, and his, and his uh, status as a real estate professional. And he was like, but they only know so much about it. They're not experts. And, and so my comment to him was, I was like, that's a lot of what we've done over the last two years is find, seek out and find you know, people like yourself, Brian, that, that really do this on a day-to-day basis is where you focus and having that Rolodex of people and that team of people where, you know, you can go if nothing else to get a second opinion on something or, you know, and, and you know, a lot of our CPA partners, they, they use the comment all the time, well, we don't even necessarily take over somebody as a client. We're consulting with their existing CPA because they just don't understand some of it. And so they'll come in for, you know, that much of the return and say, this is, you know, how you do this piece of it and, and they'll take care of that. But without that, that's a huge miss potentially. And so, 
having the right people around you, I think is so important. And, you know, that's a lot of what we've done is, is we were on the phone the other day with another CPA vetting them because it's just good to have people in the Rolodex. But, you know, I, I think you get kind of accustomed to who you're working with and you only know maybe potentially who's in your own sphere, but there's a lot of really good people out there that can make a big difference. And, and knowing, knowing those folks and the introductions to those folks is, is huge. And I think, you know, what you just said is, is right on the point too, is a lot of, uh, whether it's a CPA, an attorney, or whoever it is on your team, they may be at capacity. They may not be able to take on additional uh, clients. They might not have the support staff, but they may be experts in a very, a very niche topic. And if they can work with your existing provider on that piece, that just adds so much value. So I, I think that that is a, a great way to add, you know, different components or different professionals into your life and having that Rolodex. Now, I will say that. like the amount of times we have these conversations where people are so frustrated with the fact that their CPA never told them about this and they never want to talk to them again is far more frequent than you know, when they say, can you be, you know, can you play that consulting role? And I think it, again, goes back to the fact that you're not, we're not discounting that the average tax preparer has thousands of returns and they don't have the time to go, hey, Brian, I've been doing a ton of research and spending hours trying to figure out ways I can help you save more money this year on your taxes. That's not the conversation that most people have, but those are conversations that you can have. And I think like, just the mindset of maybe it's going to cost, I mean, not maybe, it will cost more to have the strategist on the front end, but you might stroke a check for $5,000 for this strategy, $8,000, $10,000, whatever it is. If you're getting a 10X or 15 or 20X in year one, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Andrew had a client that had $50 million of assets and never heard of cost segregation. That's crazy. And because he had the same CPA forever. I think, Andrew, do you, th- do you agree that if we would have just stayed with our CPA and we had $50 million of assets that we would also have never heard about cost segregation? I mean, I think that that's yeah. probably realistic. I don't know that without us ever asking about it, it would have come up at all with, with, uh, with our ex-CPA. So. And what we see a lot uh, is we'll have clients that will inherit property. So they'll inherit a shopping center or maybe an apartment complex. And they're, they've been using their same preparers for, you know, a long time. And now they have this new asset and that, you know, that's sometimes part of the problem. And uh, that just is is such a huge opportunity because then the heirs can take with the step up value, do the cost segregation study. And, you know, it just, it really is such a, a great strategy for them. So just having a good team around you, I think is is so important. And it's also, you know, having the courage to ask questions, you know, and sometimes you'll get, yeah, that's a good fit or, you know, be, Hey, let's, let's do a deep dive into this to make sure it really makes sense for you. And that's, you know, the question that we ask is regarding active real estate investors or professionals versus strictly passive real estate, you know, investors and making sure that if they do decide to move forward with a certain strategy, that it really makes sense for, for them and then also looking at the long-term disposition of the asset. What are you planning on doing with the asset in two years, five years, 10 years plus? It's really having a good idea of where they're going with it so that they're setting up the proper strategy on the front end. Meaning you wouldn't want to do the same strategy on a property that you're going to hold for two years 
that you would on a property you're going to hold for 10 years. So right. it's, it's knowing that up front. So, yeah. Well, I think it's also important just to say as a gesture of gratitude, how, how much we appreciate you and uh, your company being part of our team, because it's, oh, yeah. it's Thank so you. important that you, uh, you know, when we have these conversations with people and they have two or three properties, it's like, once you explain it to them and they can start to see what it looks like, I guess, subjectively, but then it's okay, submit your property and you're going to get an actual dollar amount, what you're going to save in year one. It's, you know, everything becomes more real when it's, this is, this is my scenario. And uh, so we appreciate everything you guys do as well. Perfect. Well, hey, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. I, you know, definitely want to say thank you for being on the call today. And, uh, you know, before we leave, how can people get in touch with you? How can, where can they find you? www.legacywealthcode.com. That's our, the main website. Um, you know, if you have a scenario where you want to discuss with, with us, there's an easy link there to book a, we call it a tax into wealth evaluation call. We're happy to spend, um, you know, 30 minutes or so with you discussing your scenario and exactly how a lot of the tax strategies that are available can apply to you directly. And then we also have the Legacy Wealth Code podcast uh, available on all of the major platforms. Perfect. Well, hey, thank you guys. And we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. If you'd like to get connected with today's guest, log on to realestateexplainer.com and click the Get Connected button on the homepage.